Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, verse 4. John chapter 4, verse 4. Praise the Lord. It says, and this is about Jesus. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So Jesus is in Judea. But he has to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. Okay, so he's going south to north here. And so as he's going through Samaria, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well And it was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, where is Jesus at right now? He's near the plot of ground where Jacob bought property and Jacob's well is there. It's a place called Sychar. Um, And if you look in the um, what this town actually is, it's a town of Shechem that we see in the Old Testament, which is very important. And it says... When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever, that's an important word, Drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, speak your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you uh, make these words come alive, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak this message clearly, Lord. Bless it, Lord, in your name I pray. Everybody said... Amen. Hallelujah. So here we have Jesus walking into this town, but the Bible thinks it's very important when Jesus walks into this town to make a note of what town he walked in. And it's going to be very critical to this story to understand what town he walked in. It's the town where Jacob bought a piece of land And Jacob dug a well. That's relevant to the story or they wouldn't bring it up. And so in the book of John, um, if you've never read the book of John, and this will kind of help you get a little bit of an outline, John uh, actually frames his entire gospel account around seven miraculous miracles. How many know that? Seven miraculous signs John frames his eyewitness account of Jesus' life around seven specific signs, and from those seven specific signs, he's trying to speak 
the message of Jesus to the world. So these seven signs, you know, the first sign is the wedding at Cana. Jesus does a creative miracle and he changes the water into the best, freshest juice that they had ever seen. And from that sign, Jesus is trying, uh, he does his teaching off of the first sign. And in fact, uh, John 1.11 says, this is the first of the signs. All right? And so he begins to tell them that I am bringing in a new covenant. The old one um, is not as high quality as the new one. And the one that I'm bringing in is unique. And he began to explain the message out of the first sign. Well, this sign is the second sign. The second sign is actually the healing of a, um, of a Gentile's child who happened to see that miracle in Jerusalem and followed him all the way out of Cana, uh, out of Cana and followed him uh, to where he's currently located. And he asked, will you heal my child? And so Jesus, with this second sign, in fact, uh, John 4.54 says this is the second sign. And right before that second sign, he starts giving a foundational teaching to help them understand the second sign. And you say, well, what's Jesus trying to teach them with this sign of this man's child being healed? Well, the man pulls up to Jesus and he'd just done this miracle in Cana of Galilee, and he had also, um, in front of all of the people, all of the Jews, he had done a miracle, and Jesus said, they're not going to believe what I do. They're looking for a sign. They keep looking for signs, and they're not going to accept me. They're going to reject me, even though I do miraculous signs in front of me. They won't have faith in me for their life. And so Jesus begins to, uh, this man uh, comes up to him and he says, Hey, I'm a man of authority and my child is sick and is going to die. Can you come see my child? And Jesus looks around when this man asks this question and he looks around at the Jews and he says, You all seek a sign. As if to say, Watch what I do with this man, a Gentile. And he looks at the man and you know what he says? He says, go back home and your child has been healed. And it says the man took him at his word. Faith. All the Jews were looking for a sign because if they could see something that would convince them, then they would have faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. And this message is directly to us. God wants us to have faith in Jesus Christ, which opens every door of blessing. But we're still waiting for God to do something or I'm not going to trust Him. And so he says, he, the man says, heal my son. And he looks around and he said, you guys are looking for a sign, but you go back home and your son will be healed. And so the man trusts him at his word goes back home, they're coming to meet him, and he said, they said, your son has been healed, and he said, when? And they said he was healed the exact moment Jesus said he was healed. And he's trying to show Israel, 
you need to have faith in me and quit waiting for a sign in your life. And you say, well, what's this have to do with this woman at this well? This is the teaching that he does in advance of, um, in advance of this great miracle showing faith that saves and, and pours out the blessings of God in your life. He starts in verse 4, chapter 1. He says, The Pharisees heard Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back into Galilee. Okay? Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. And uh, this is when they introduced this story of Jesus coming to this well. And Jesus, right as he's coming into this town, makes an interesting statement. He says, um, he says that... Um, a prophet is not received in his own country. And he's trying to tell them what's going to happen, that my people are going to reject me. And so as he begins to go in this town, he runs into this woman, who this woman, Jesus prophetically says, the person you're married to is not even your husband. And she had had a sordid history of many men in her life and wasn't a very moral woman. Okay? And Jesus comes into this town and she was from a group of people that the Jews wouldn't even associate with. And so Jesus is trying to explain what saving faith looks like where a person chooses to serve God. So he walks up to this famous well, which I'm going to get into in a minute, and there's a woman there. And you say, well, what's that have to do with the faith that he wants his people to have? He walks up to this woman... And he says that I have water that's greater than the water that you've gotten out of this well. And then he says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He said, I know you've had five men and this one's not your husband either. And because she realized what he said, that he was a prophet, she realized when he said, I am he that you have been waiting for, a woman who had no credentials, no background, no reason to believe, this woman believed and said, He is the one. And this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And she becomes one of the first evangelists in the Bible. She runs to town, begins to tell the people about who she met. She said, I've met the Messiah, I've met Jesus Christ. She had faith in Jesus Christ, and guess what? The whole town of Samaritans were giving their life to Christ. The the Samaritans believed, and Jesus stayed there for several days with people who believed. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, they still didn't believe. They're still waiting for a miracle. God's people... Waiting for a miracle or we won't serve you with their arms crossed, rebellious, refusing to believe God unless God does this. How many have ever seen somebody that said, unless God does this, I won't believe. Unless God does this, I won't believe. Unless God does this, I won't believe. But Jesus is trying to say, look at the Samaritans. She believed. I said one little thing she believed. She runs to town and guess who their evangelist is? 
Their evangelist is a woman who's not really the best witness to have, probably. She goes to town, and they believe just on her word. And he's looking around at God's people, and he's saying, why won't you believe? And they're still not believing. And and Jesus didn't just do this in any old location. He did it at a place that you have to understand. You really have to understand the location of what happened or you can't even digest what he's trying to tell his people. He did it at a place called Shechem, which is amazing. Here's where we first see Shechem, and I want you to get a hold of this place. Very important today. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. For 11 chapters, uh, Genesis is broken up into two sections. The beginning of human history, 1 through 11. And then chapter 12, the center of all Genesis is this person I called to reveal myself through his family. And it's Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph comprise chapters 12 through 50. 38 chapters of Genesis talk about this one man's family. And the other 11 chapters, oh, I don't know, just talk about the creation of the entire universe. So you tell me what God is excited about. He's excited about Abraham and his faith. And so Abraham in chapter 12 comes onto the scene and it says in verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you... Do you understand that Abram at this point is a nobody? Do you understand that all of us are kind of like Abram? We're all kind of nobodies. Right? You say, well, I'm more special than you. You might be a little more special than me. But this is God calling out to every man, woman, and child. I want your life. I want your faith. I want you to trust me because I want to do great things in your life. And so he says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Isn't that amazing? 75 years old, and because God said, go, leave your land, and I'm going to take you to a place where I will bless you and make you a great nation. This is a 75-year-old man that doesn't have a child. You understand that? 75 years old, doesn't have a child, and God's saying, go to the land, and I will bless you and make a great nation out of you and your family. (laughs) Funny. All right? So he goes. He sat out, he set out from Haran. He's actually coming from the north, okay? And he's going from uh, the area of the Chaldeans to the northeast of Jerusalem. He's traveling down this way, and then he's going down, and he runs into a place. It says. He took his wife Sarah's nephew Lot, all of his possessions he accumulated, and the people 
um, that were with him, they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. I wonder where there is. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. What land is he talking about? We have to understand what Shechem is. The place where this woman was sitting by a well was this location in Israel. You say, well, why is it so special? We're going to try to unravel that. This place had two mountains. Okay, one was called Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. Beautiful, fruitful mountain. Okay, and it had a panoramic view. Everybody, anybody ever seen a lookout mountain where you can see multiple states? This is in central Israel, which is central promised land, all right? It was a mountain that stood up and gave a panoramic view of the promised land. To one side was the south of the promised land, to one side was the east. And when you stood on that beautiful, fruitful mountain of blessing, you could see everything that God had promised to him and his family. And so he took him on top of the mountain. Right next to that mountain is another mountain called Mount Ebal. It is a barren mountain where people are buried in the mountain. It's the mountain of curses. Like a cursed life. Mount Gerizim is the mountain of blessing. So he takes him on top of this mountain, has him look out, and he says, look at everything I'm going to bless you with. And God appeared to him. In fact, it wasn't just It wasn't just God that appeared to him. How many know this was a pre-incarnate Christ that appeared to him? He stood there with Abraham and said, If you will trust me, I will bless your life. And the same Jesus walks into this town where many, many, we're, we're talking... 17, 1800 years before had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Actually, 2,100 years almost. He promised to bless Abram. So Abram's looking over Lookout Mountain and he's looking at the blessings of God. And this morning, I'm asking you to stand on that mountain with God and say, God, show me how much you want to bless me. Because God's grace, how many know that it's a picture of God's grace He wants to pour in your life? In fact, the title of my message is The Everlasting Blessing. You say, well, Chad, I just want blessings for this life. I'm trying to tell you the blessing that will flow from the inside of you, that will flow up to eternal life. God will bless you in this world and He'll bless you to, in the world to come, but this is the location that symbolizes the blessing of God. Jesus is literally at the spot where God originally said, I'm separating a people that I want to bless, and that people is anybody that will come and drink, anybody that's thirsty, anybody that will believe. If you'll believe, I will bless your life. If you won't believe, I won't bless your life. And so he brings him to this place in Genesis 12, and you say, wow, it probably stops there. No, 
Isaac stayed close to that place because it was the place where God had promised his father in Jacob. You see Jacob moving all over the place. Jacob running from God. Jacob kind of a liar. Jacob kind of a deceiver. And then Jacob being chased by his brother. Jacob uh, is told by his family, go back to the land of your mother's family in Paden Aram. And when you're there, God will bring you back into the land that he promised your grandfather. So Jacob goes away and you see in Genesis chapter 33, Genesis chapter 34, he says, it's time for me to go back to my grandfather's house. Time to go back to my father Isaac's house. I'm going back home because I believe the promise God has for my life. And guess where Jacob goes back to? Shechem. He goes back to the place where God made promises to bless him for eternity. Bless that family. The blessings and promises of God were in that place. And so they keep coming back to this place. The place where God pours blessings into your life. And you say, well, maybe it ends there. Then Joseph. Joseph one day is told by his father, hey, go look for your brothers. And go tell them, you know, go do a mess, go do an errand for me with your brothers. Guess where he sends him? Shechem. To go find his brothers. And guess what happens to Joseph at Shechem? The place that Abram built an altar to the Lord and trusted God. The place where Jacob came back home and began to trust God. Joseph at that place was sold into slavery by his brothers. But you know, Joseph never forgot that place. You know the story. He goes down to Egypt. They go into slavery. Follow me on this church. It's a blessing. He never forgets about the place of promise, the place that God promised his life. He goes to Egypt, and you know the story. One of the most amazing stories in the whole Bible is Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt. God makes him nearly the highest ranked person in the entire nation. And here is Joseph, blessed beyond anything. And guess what? I go to Hebrews 11.22. It talks about the, the faith of Abraham. It talks about the faith of Isaac. It talks about the faith of Joseph. Joseph was put in prison wrongly. Joseph was exalted to the highest position in Egypt. Joseph provided for his family through a famine. The entire group, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their whole family, went to Egypt and were blessed beyond anything. And guess what Hebrews 11.22 says about Joseph's faith? Here's the big thing that Joseph did that's worth pointing out. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions Concerning the burial of his bones. That's his act of faith? Think of all the great things Joseph did. Why are we concentrating on his bones being buried back in the land? Because the town that Jesus was in was the place where they buried Joseph's bones. Jesus, in fact, if you go to Israel today, it's a place called Nablus. 
It's in the West Bank. It's disputed land. Israel owns it. But the only way they can visit it is through a police escort because the Palestinians will fight like crazy because that's the place where today you could still walk in and see bones that are 3,800 years old of Joseph or at that place. The bones and the burial place of Joseph is right there where this woman was sitting by the well. The well that Jacob's dug is right there. You can go to that place. You can draw water out of that same well. And it's still there. And it's an artesian well that hasn't ran dry. And God's promises are true. And that's one of the few places you could walk as a Jew in Jesus' day and know that God is real and God is true to His promises. Is the place of Shechem. And that's where Jesus went and started to talk about their faith. Now keep on with me here. Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses says this. Now remember, Moses had just led the children of Israel, which is the children of Jacob. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's children. God did not forget the promise he made to Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So here they are in Egypt, slaves, but God didn't forget the promise. So God says, I'm going to bring them out. And he brings them out, and I want you to imagine Moses, young Joshua, okay? Think of what his eyes seen. He's seen the miraculous power of God deliver them from the hands of one of the most powerful men in the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And you say, what's that have to do with me? Because this is a people that are blessed. This is a people that God blessed. He gave favor to. He gave miracles to. He did all these things to save them out of Pharaoh's hands. Do you Have you ever read the plagues that he put on Egypt? Have you ever seen the parting of the Red Sea? Have you ever seen the miracles he did in the wilderness? And he brought them out of Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders like nothing the world had ever seen. He fulfilled the promise even though they were unfaithful. Amen? He fulfilled the promise and he delivered them. And, and, and Moses said this, God has kept his promises to us And he says, see, I set before you today, Deuteronomy 30, 15, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. I command you today to love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, keep his commands, decrees and laws, and you will live and increase. The Lord will bless you in the land you're entering to possess, but if your heart... Church, listen to me today. If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you. Listen, church. Choice. God did everything. God provided everything. God provided miracles. He provided signs. He did everything to prove who He was. And now He puts the choice in front of every man, every woman, and every child. He says, I lay before you blessings and curses. I lay before you life and death. He said, 
I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I set before you life and death, blessings, curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you see that God delivered him? He said, I've been better to you than anybody in the world. This is what he was telling the Jews when he was talking to that woman at the well. I've been better to the Jews than any people on the face of the earth has ever been. And you won't believe me unless you see a miracle. But these Samaritans, they believe me and they don't need to see miracles. Abraham was a Gentile and you know that he didn't need to see a miracle. He just believed him. He's saying, be like Abraham's faith. Then he goes on, Joshua. Moses dies and he says, promise me one thing, Israel. Promise me this. When you get in the land and God defeats every enemy in the promised land. Remember that mountain that Abraham stood on top of and God says, I'm going to give you it all? He said, when God does that, when God gives you all of that land I promised you, come back to that place and renew your covenant with God. So where do you think they go when they come into the promised land? Before they, before they fight the enemies, they go to Shechem. And they reread all the things that Moses said. They reread the blessings. They reread the curses. They make a covenant with God at Shechem, the place where Jesus met the woman, met the woman at the well. Jacob's well, Joseph's bones, it's all there. The panoramic view of all the promises God has for our life. They renew the covenant. They go into the land, and guess what God does for them in the land? They win, then they win, and then they win, and they just keep on winning. How many know that every powerful enemy that was bigger and stronger than them, God supernaturally won the battle, and here they are. Church, they got houses that they never built. They got fortunes that they never earned. They got so much grace was poured upon them. They were saying to themselves, I don't deserve it, God. God, how have you been so good to me? Why me, God? How many have ever had God's grace poured on you and you said, God, I don't understand it. Why are you blessing me so much? Why? Why am I so blessed, God? I don't understand why you love me so much. And church, they came back to Shechem. In Joshua chapter 24. And Moses said, will you do this for me? When he gives you the land, and he blesses you, and he gives you good things, and he gives you wonderful things, will you come back to the land and promise me you'll still serve me? Will you make a covenant with me that you'll still love me? And so in Joshua chapter 24... After they had possessed the land. Church, I want you to think about how joyful of a meeting this is at Shechem. They get the entire nation together in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua's about to die. Now remember the things that Joshua's eyes have seen. Joshua was a slave in Egypt. He worked in the brickyards like a slave. 
God completely delivered him. Moses was sent by God. They were delivered. They seen miracles. They seen the Red Sea. They seen the plagues. They went through the wilderness. Joshua was in the wilderness. Joshua was a spy. Joshua was the one that went into the land and said, we can take the land. We can win. God's with us. Let's do it now. They wouldn't listen. Joshua was there for 40 years in the wilderness. Now Joshua, 90 years old, Joshua is the one leading them into the promised land. And he defeats every enemy that's in the promised land. And here's this people that are full to the gills with the blessing of God. And you know what they did? As they dispossessed the land, they were gathering all these false gods to them. In fact, they had piles of loot from the false gods. Did you know that? God is blessing them, and they still won't be faithful to God. They're still not recognizing the blessings of God. And and folks, if the temporary blessings of God are all you want then you don't have any idea what you're missing out on because the eternal blessing that God's trying to give us far outweighs the blessings of this world. Listen to what Joshua says as an old man about to die. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. This is 24 verse 1. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel. They presented themselves before God. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River. They worshipped other gods, but I took your father Abraham. Do you hear this? God's taking personal responsibility for putting them in this place. I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates, led him throughout Canaan, gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country to Esau, and Jacob and his family went to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. I brought you out when I brought you out When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea. The Egyptians ran after you with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. You lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, lived in the east of the Jordan. They fought against you. But I put them in your hands. I destroyed them before you. I took possession of, you took possession of the land. And then he goes on and he says in verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors that they worshiped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, You see what he's saying, church? You have been blessed your whole life. Some of you are sitting here and you have the nerve to look at God and say, I haven't been blessed. Let 
we look at God and say, I haven't been blessed. And do you understand nearly this entire nation rejected God? Their choice was to not serve God. God did all of this and He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, undesirable to you, do you hear what I'm saying today, church? Do you know how many Christian people it seems undesirable to serve the Lord and we don't see the blessing that God has poured in our lives? We should be in this church worshiping Him like we've been blessed beyond anything. It says, but if it seems undesirable to you, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house... I will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. How many know that God is looking for some people that will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you say, well, what does that mean? It says Joshua did everything that the God asked him to do. Everything that God said to do, he just did it. He didn't need to see a miracle. He didn't need to see a sign. He didn't have have somebody patting him on the back. He just said, I'm going to serve the Lord in my days. And God said that there's going to come a time. He let Moses and he let Joshua know there's going to come a time that the men of God are going to die and they're going to go and do their own thing, what's right in their own eyes, and they won't serve the Lord. And what he's saying, this place is called Shechem, Joshua took all of these idols and buried them under that tree. And God said, I want you to stand on one mountain, the mountain of cursing, and I want you to read all the curses for those who choose not to serve Him. And I want you to stand on the other mountain, and I want them to recite all the blessings that I want you to have in your life. And I want you to stand there in the middle and make a decision and choose you this day. Who are you going to serve, church? And you say, well, those were probably the sinners in the middle there. No. They were worried that the blessing that they started in, they would reject and choose the curses. And God was saying, choose you This day, church, who you will serve. But as for me, just so there's no mistaking, me and my family are going to serve the Lord. And he began to worship God there. Now Jesus comes walking into that town. Now it's got a little bit more meaning. He walks into that town... And he's trying to see who's going to have faith in him and who's going to wait to see more signs. And so he gives the ultimate sign. A man drives up, rides up on a horse and says, somebody's sick. And he says, you people won't believe me, but watch this. He's healed. Go home. He believed him in his word. Now, a lot of people would say, man, God's people don't have a choice, do they? 
God said, I did this, and I did that, and I did this. And, and God just robotically makes people wired to choose Him or not choose Him. But you know, Joshua was very clear. Choose you this day. If he couldn't choose, then why say it? This sums it up, I think. Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14, it says, Jesus spoke to them in a parable saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. You see that God has prepared a table of blessing for His Son. You guys see this? Every blessing that God has for the church, every human being, whosoever will, whoever will come and drink, whoever will believe and doesn't need signs, they'll just believe like Abraham did, they'll believe like this woman did, they'll believe like this man whose son was healed. Anybody who will believe... My Father in heaven is preparing a banquet for them. He's preparing a place of blessing. He's taking you up to that mountain right there. And He's saying, look at all the blessings I have for your life. Why are you so stubborn? Why won't you take my blessing? Why won't you love me? Why won't you choose this day to serve me and not the idols? And it says the king prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused. Their choice was, I don't want to go, God. I don't want the blessing you have prepared for me. I don't want the banquet for your son. I don't want you to pour out blessings in my life. Church, they refused to come. It says, then he set some, sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention to him and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest, is this, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Who do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about Israel. He's saying, look, I sent and I told them, the meal is ready, come eat, and they rejected me. They wouldn't come to me. I blessed them and blessed them and blessed them and blessed them, but they refused to come. And not only did they not come, they killed my prophets. They killed the messengers. And he said, so I sent my army and burnt their city. That's not clear. I don't know what is. And then he said, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. Church, do you hear him calling out? There is a wedding banquet. There is a table of the Lord. There is a church that is being prepared to eat with the Lord in eternity and be blessed forever. And some people are just rejecting it. And he's saying... The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and to the banquet anyone you can find. Invite to the banquet anybody you can find. What's that say? Anybody? Does that mean maybe this woman that's sitting at the well? Does that maybe mean these Samaritans that are waiting to believe? 
See, the Jews didn't want anything to do with him. The church sometimes don't want anything to do with him. He said, just go out and say, anybody who will come, come on. And so he's in this story in John chapter 4, he's closing the door on the Jews. And he's opening up the door for whosoever will. And it says... Go to the street corners, invite them to the banquet, anybody you can find. So the servants went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And you say, well, happily ever after. No, it goes on. But then the king came to see the guests. He noticed there was a man there that didn't have his wedding garments on. So he asked, how did you get in here? Without wedding clothes, friend. The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. Where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Church, do you see that God is out saying, Come in, come in, come in, come in. He's saying, Come to the wedding. Come, I want you here, I want you here, I want you here. Be obedient. Choose today that I want to serve the Lord. Choose today eternal life. He's giving you the choice of life and death. He's got a banquet table ready. Why would we not trust God with everything? Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. We turn those lights down a little bit. Hallelujah. Close your eyes with me this morning, church. Oh, church, in in just a little bit, we're going to have wonderful fellowship. But how many know that my responsibility is to have a church that's ready to be presented to the Lord without spot, without wrinkle? A church that's chosen life. Hallelujah. Church, I want you to think about it this morning. Think about the blessings of God in your life. Think about the curses that God doesn't want you to have in your life. God's asking you today, choose you this day. Who are you going to serve? We can't be halfway in the world and halfway with God. We're either all for God or we're all against God. We're either serving God or we're serving the world. We're either for Him or we're against Him. The Bible says there's no fence. Church, I just want to ask you today. Have you done like Joshua and said, I'm going to serve the Lord? You say, yeah, but I do it my own way. I do it the way that seems right in my own heart. I got my own way to do it. I take parts of the Bible I like and throw away the ones I don't. Church, that's the person that came to the banquet with their own garment on. He says, do it my way. You've done it your way. It's not working. Do it my way. I've already established a plan, a purpose, a way. Walk in my ways and quit walking in your own ways. And God's calling you today, church. You don't need me to pray for you. You need to go up to this altar and pray to God yourself. I'll pray with you. But you've got to repent and say, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord with all of our heart. That's the choice you have today. 
man, I'm not making that choice, Chad. You'll make it before you walk out. It'll be one or the other. There's no two ways about it. You say, well, I'm not going to do anything. You made your choice. Church, I pray today, make the right choice. Hallelujah. Let's pray. I'm going to leave these altars open. We're here to pray with you now. You say, well, man, I'm kind of quiet. I want to pray with you later. Find me later. I want to pray with you. I want you, I want, I want you to be right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Father, touch every heart, Lord. Father, we want to be sold out for you, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be halfway. We don't want to be a people who once loved you and were blessed and forgot about you, Lord. We want to be a people that's continually walking in your blessing, Lord. Continually trusting you, Lord God. Oh, Father, bless your people, Lord God. Those who aren't right with the Lord. Father, I pray that today you bring them in a right relationship. Lord, all of heaven is waiting for that decision, Lord. All of your grace is ready to be poured out on these lives, Lord. Abundance of heaven, Lord God. Lord, take them to that mountain. Let them see the blessings you're ready to pour upon those who trust you and love you, Lord. We do, Lord. Hallelujah. In your name I pray. Amen. Church, these altars are open. I want to pray. And church, we've got to walk in that. We've got to walk in that newness of life. God wants us to lay down our brokenness, our shame, our hurt, our pain. All of these things. And he wants us to pick up joy, peace, love. He wants to lavish on us his grace, his love, his blessing. But we've got to lay down that old man and rise up in newness. Oh, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Heavenly Father, right now I come before you, Lord. Lord, I pray for your church, Lord, that they will continue to walk in your favor, your blessing, Lord, your love, your kindness, your goodness, Lord. Oh, reveal yourself in a special way to each person, Lord. Lord God. Bless the Lord. In your name I pray. Hallelujah. Amen.